science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it out. It was that golden moment because science was on my side. Hey everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. Quick reminder: we have a show coming up August 13th in New York. This week's story is from Daniel Engber. The story was recorded in July 2014 at Littlefield in Brooklyn. So the science of sports. Um, I'm not particularly good at sports, but I am particularly bad at science. Um, I was a grad student in neuroscience. I was a particularly bad grad student in neuroscience studying the neuroscience of motor control in humans and in cats. And the reason I was bad, or one of the reasons I was bad, is that I was kind of a daydreamer. And I know it's true that there are many great scientists, Nobel Prize winning scientists who are daydreamers. I read once that um, Alexander Fleming would take breaks from doing his research, and he would take this wire metal loop, and he would drag it through microbes that bloom different colors and smear it on agar plates. And he'd sort of make these multicolored paintings in petri dishes. and then. He found this wonderful pigment one day, this brilliant blue-green fungus that was penicillium. But I was not that kind of daydreamer. I was like sort of distractible, didn't do his work, did a lot of surfing the web when he should have been doing experiments, that kind of thing. And one day when I was in the lab, I was kind of daydreaming about something that had happened the night before. The night before I had gone to Oakland to see a basketball game, I'd seen a Golden State Warriors game. And I'd noticed in the game that whenever one of the opposing players was shooting a free throw, the people in the stands behind the Golden State backboard would be waving their arms like this, trying to distract the shooter. They'd be waving these uh, pieces of styrofoam, these styrofoam noodles they call wiggle sticks that they hand out for just this purpose. And it's not like I, hadn't, I didn't know that this happened. It's just this was the first time I thought about it. And you know, I'd done enough experiments on hand-eye coordination or paw-eye coordination to know that that this was just like a terrible, terrible idea. I mean, just the worst idea. Because if you do this, you're making all this motion in all different directions, and it'll sort of cancel out and just turn into white noise. And if the brain is good at one thing, it's separating signal from noise and just ignoring all of that. So I had this sense that this was just a miserable way to do it, and I was in the lab, and I was um, surfing and doing whatever other than my work, and I started looking up basketball stats. And I figured if I looked up... Uh, on NBA.com, free throw percentages for different teams while at home and on the road and compared them, I could figure out if it really worked because if all those pom-poms and wiggle sticks and all that stuff works, then teams should shoot better at home than on the road. But in fact, if you look across the whole league, teams shoot exactly the same at home and on the road to within like 1 20th of 1%. So this was proof to me at least that these things don't work. They don't work at all. They emphatically don't work. So, naturally, I started thinking about whether there's something that would work, whether there was, like, a scientifically valid way to distract free-throw shooters. So, as it happens, a paper had just been published, sort of in my subfield, about 
targeted reaching movements against a field of coherent motion. And basically it was just what happens if you try to reach for something and the world in front of you kind of slides to one side. And what happens, it turns out, is that it's sort of intuitive, but if the world slides to one side, you interpret it sort of unconsciously as you're moving the other way. And your brain makes a very quick correction for that. It might only be a millimeter, but it occurred to me that even a tiny correction would be enough to you know, throw off one of these very precise NBA shooters. And this could really work in the NBA. And so I said to myself, like, that is a fantastic idea. That is really amazing. You are amazing. <laughs> and I had this whole conversation about that. And then I was like, I need to tell someone about my amazing idea. And I need to tell someone in the NBA. <laughs> so then I just had to figure out who in the NBA to tell. And I actually, there was a natural choice. I thought, I'm going to tell the Dallas Mavericks. And why did I choose the Dallas Mavericks? I chose the Dallas Mavericks because they're owned by Mark Cuban. And you may know who Mark Cuban is. If you don't, um, he's just like a total weirdo. <laughs> he's much younger than most NBA owners. He's like a self-made tech billionaire. He um, has millions of Twitter followers. He has written children's books. He's... Um, He's done pro wrestling. I mean, like, he's been in the ring doing, like, the camel clutch and everything. Um, he's sort of like a little bit of a 9-11 truther. Um, he's just, he's, like, super weird. He owns the Mavericks, and he kind of is a maverick. And even better than that, his email address is online. It's like anyone can find his email address. It's mark. I'm telling you, you can write it down. It's mark.cuban at dallasmavs.com. Do what I did. Email Mark Cuban. So I went home, and I sat down, and I started emailing Mark Cuban, and I, told, I laid out the whole thing. I said, here's the stats, home and away. You know, this, the wiggle sticks don't do anything. What you need is a wiggle stick conductor. You need someone who can lead the people, <laughs> who can take all of their raw, moron, hand-waving energy <laughs> and harness it and focus it into a laser and then just shine that laser into the opposing player's eye. And I sent it off, and I started making dinner. And about half an hour later, I heard a ping on my computer, and I, I went and I checked my inbox and there was an email from mark.cuban at dallasmavs.com. And I thought, ah, it's probably, you know, one of his, you know, army of flunkies or something. But I opened it up, and it really was from Mark. And I printed out the email so I could read it to you. And also because it's a cherished possession. Okay. It could work. That's how he started the email. He just gets right into it. He says, it, it could work. The conductor is a great idea, as long as no one in the NBA is told. I'm happy to try it. What other ideas do you have? I love using science to gain an advantage. It's Mavs time. So I was really, I was really excited about this email, as you can imagine, especially... I loved the way he signed off. Um, I later discovered this was sort of like an automatic email sign-off on his program or what, his email program. But at the time, I liked sort of indulging the fantasy that he was just so excited. He was like just typing his message to me. And at that end, he's just like, it's Mavs time. And he just hit send and was like, yeah. 
But I also really liked the fact that he had said, I don't know if you caught it, he said, what other ideas do you have? What other ideas did I have? What other ideas did I have? I actually had no other ideas. <laughs> but it seemed to me that I could have other ideas if I thought of other ideas. And then I could present those ideas to Mark Cuban, and he could put those ideas into practice, and we could get a whole thing going where he was the owner and I was like the guy with ideas and we would sort of be partners. And I kind of, I, the more I thought about it, it just seemed natural. I'd be like a neuroscience consultant to the National Basketball Association. And why not? I mean, it seemed like Mark and I had kind of a lot in common. Like we were both from the East Coast, both descended from Russian Jews. Um, we both love science. We both love science, uh, using science to gain an advantage, as he pointed out in his email. Um, he was like an eccentric billionaire, and I was like an eccentric thousandaire, and we could just work together to do something. So I wrote back right away. I was like, Mark, I, I, think, I just want you to know, I don't think this is against the rules at all. I looked in the NBA rulebook. It seems fine. Um, and he wrote me back right away. It was like we were basically on IM. So I have that email, too. I don't want other teams to catch on or have the league ban it, he said. But we will try to get everyone waving in unison starting tomorrow. It's Mavs time. <laughs> I was so excited. I mean, this I had spent, you have to understand, I had spent like weeks and months of my life doing these experiments in a basement that just to get like an ounce of data to publish in an obscure journal about like cats reaching for things. And now, in less than 24 hours, Mark Cuban was going to take my idea for basketball, and he was going to put it live in front of tens of thousands of people at the American Airlines Arena, or hundreds of thousands of people, or however many people were watching. And I was like, this is, you know, this is my Alexander Fleming moment. This is my penicillin. This, this is a real thing. This is, this is science. Um, and sure enough... They played the Celtics the next night. I couldn't watch that game. It wasn't nationally televised. But the next day in the lab, I, sh I checked the box scores. And they had done the, the idea, as far as I knew. And the Celtics only shot 60% from the line. That may sound pretty good, but it's significantly lower than league average. And that kind of thing makes a difference. And the next game was against the Lakers. And that game was nationally televised. So I got some friends together. And we went out to a sports bar. And they had NBC on. And we were watching the game, and the first quarter, Kobe Bryant gets fouled, and he goes to the line, and they do this, you know, like reverse angle, so you're seeing from behind him, and you see behind the backboard, and all the Mavericks fans are waving in unison. And in fact, there's, so the Mavericks have this, like, costume mascot troupe called the Funslingers, and there's a Funslinger. And he's got this sign, with a white sign with red arrows, and he's leading people and waving their arms left to right. And I'm like, wow, it's really happening. And Kobe takes a dribble, and he shoots, and he just totally bricks the shot. And I was like, this is working. I'm in Kobe's head. It's fucking mass time. And so he hit the next shot, but I was still pretty into it. And then other Lakers came to the line, and they made their shots. And by the end of the game, the Lakers had actually shot just about league average. So something was off. And I did notice 
that, you know, the fans were kind of like this, and then they were like this, and then they'd get bored and kind of be like this, and it just seemed like it wasn't working perfectly. So I, I thought I need to get in touch with Mark. He wants more of my ideas. So I wrote Mark, and I said, okay, I've got another idea. You need to upgrade your wiggle stick. That's the problem. You, this is a technology problem. And I proposed some, in retrospect, not a very good plan, but I, I was like, you could take the wiggle stick, and you could put, like, an LED light in it and a plastic disc hanging on a swivel mount with a catch. And I really had the, this is... I still think this is sort of a good idea. But anyway, <laughs> if everyone is waving this thing, the, the, you can design it in such a way that it'll only show the light if they're pull, pulling the sticks in one direction. So they could do whatever they want, and Kobe would see like a field of red lights moving in one direction. So I write him this, like I don't know, like 8,000-word email about this. <laughs> and I'm like, it'll be really cheap. I'll sell, send you blueprints. And he doesn't write back. And the next day, I get a phone call, and it's from a guy named Matt. Now, Matt is the Dallas Mavericks VP of Marketing and Communications. And Matt, first of all, thanks me for my enthusiasm. And then he tells me that technically speaking, what I've suggested is like totally against the rules and would merit like massive fines if they ever did it. And he tells me about other problems too. He says they're having personnel problems. He says the fun slingers aren't super into the idea, like Mark Cuban likes it, but... Um, they're not always doing it, and there's like he was telling me about this kid-friendly horse character who keeps deserting his post and like going up to the Dr. Pepper Club to do children's birthday parties, and um, he's just like, you know, we're still doing it, but you know, calm down, <laughs> basically. Um, so I say okay, and the next game is against the Pacers, and just like the Lakers, the Pacers shot exactly league average. And I just, I had a bad feeling. This whole thing with Matt getting in touch with me just seemed, seemed like a bad sign. But I emailed Mark again, as I was doing on a regular basis at that point. Um, and he wrote back. But this time, he didn't write back just to me, as he had before. He wrote back, and he CC'd Matt. And he CC'd several other people I'd never heard of in the Mavericks organization. And this is the, uh, the third and uh, final email from him. He said, Dan... It failed miserably last night. Didn't work at all. I think our early success was random. It's Mav's time. <laughs> so with that, I realized that my experiment in the NBA was pretty much over. In fact, it was over, and like many other experiments I'd run, it was a failure. Um, I did end up writing a, sort of an essay or an op-ed about this experience and my idea for Slate.com. And my editor at Slate really did like the story. And he actually ended up sending me an email that sort of um, echoed the first email from Mark Cuban. He said, what other ideas do you have? And by that summer, I was writing regularly for Slate. And I ended up dropping out of grad school. And in fact, that experiment in the NBA was so bad, was such a failure, that it pushed me out of science altogether and into journalism. <laughs> but there is one little postscript, which is a few months after this, I ran into a guy, I met a guy who's from Dallas, who was a pretty serious Mavericks fan, and I thought, perfect guy to tell this story to. So I told him the whole thing, and I told him how Mark Cuban had said it failed miserably and all that. And he said, well, that's ridiculous, because I was just at a Mavericks game, and they're still doing it. They're totally doing your idea. The fun slingers are out there. Like the, even the kid-friendly horse character is like involved now. He's on board. 
And at first I was really annoyed, and I was like, I, I don't believe it, whatever. And then I thought, no, it makes perfect sense, because Mark Cuban is a really smart guy. And he knew this was against the rules, so he doesn't want me blabbing about it on Slate.com or whatever. But he also knows that you can't draw up any conclusions from a small sample size of three games. He's going to keep this experiment going. So there's like this data set out there of I don't know how many games the Mavericks did it for. I don't know what the shooting percentages were. This is stuff I want to know. So last week, thinking back on this, I wrote Mark Cuban again. (laughs) This is the first time I've reached out to Mark, my old friend, in 10 years. And I said, you know, what happened with this thing? But I am sorry to report, this time, he didn't write back. Thank you. That was Daniel Engber. Daniel is a columnist for Slate.com and Popular Science and a regular contributor to the New York Times Magazine. He's also appeared on Radio Lab, All Things Considered, and The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, and has also received the National Academies of Science Communication Award in 2012 and the Sex Positive Journalism Award in 2008. For more science stories, take a look at storycollider.org. We have archives of the podcast and upcoming events. Also, we depend on listeners like you for our support. If you love this podcast, please consider donating. Storycollider.org slash donate. Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Weck, Darren Barker, and Ari Daniel. The podcast is produced by Rose Eveleth. Additional help from Brooke Williams, Lena Groger, and Justin D'Ambrosio. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Littlefield for hosting the show and to Daydreamers for giving us special relativity and entertaining stories. Thanks for listening. Thank you.